All right, I am Haggai Davis III, along with Haggai Davis II, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Our show is a conversation about the past, present, and future of all things technology that we like to keep topical, interesting, and digestible. We want to thank our sponsor, Cardinal Capital, for making this possible. Cardinal Capital connects businesses to capital. It doesn't matter what business that you are in, Cardinal Capital has the resources all across the United States that are willing to help fund organizations of all sizes, life cycles, categories, and locations. Cardinal Capital works with you to craft the best commercial finance package for you to achieve your business goals. Whether you're looking to refinance current debt because of the new government programs and favorable interest rates, or finance new equipment, or maybe you're trying to acquire another business entirely, Cardinal Capital has the resources to make it happen. When lenders cannot do a loan, they seek out Cardinal Capital to help. The Cardinal Capital guys are easy to work with and fun to be around. Contact them today at 225-308-3700 or send them an email at info at cardinalcap.net and they'll be happy to help you with your commercial finance needs. So each week we take a listener question about a topic they were interested in by visiting our website techgumbo.net. And this week's question is, at what age should I give my child his first smartphone? This is a great question. And I think what makes it a good question is that there's no one answer here. We're not going to try and say, oh, at age 12 and a half or 11 or 15 or nine, there's a a lot of different questions that you can ask yourself and investigate that will help you come to a most reasonable answer that's specific to your case. The first question you need to ask is, is your kid ready to have a smartphone? Because if your kid is 11 or 12 or 13 or whatever, and it's just not emotionally ready, doesn't have any level of maturity for that level of age, then maybe they're not ready to have a smartphone that faces the internet. That's a great question. That's with smartphones and connections to the internet and connections to social media, there is a level of responsibility that comes with that. It requires proper care and proper usage and that every kid uh, matures at different rates and no one knows your kid better than you do. I will say one of the things that worked very, very well in this household for both of our kids, no cell phones went to the bedrooms. If you Mm -hmm. were going to have your smartphone and use it, you used it out on the sofa in the middle of the house with all of us. Because that keeps everyone engaged in the family together. Absolutely. The next question you need to decide is what's the purpose of the phone? Yeah. Does your kid want a smartphone because all their friends have one or do they want a smartphone because they get home at at a time whenever, you know, they come by themselves and they're dropped off and you need a way to contact them? Does it provide a true utility? Is it bringing some value in making your life easier or is it just they're looking to fit in? And then you need to decide what level of parental controls do you put on the phone if you decide to give your phone to your child. This is something the Apple has the Apple family sharing. Google has Google family link. You can place screen time restrictions. You can place app restrictions. You can place content restrictions. It does take a little bit to set up. But again, this is one of those things that think about it as training wheels. The internet is complicated and it's tough and it requires a lot of development and growth to be able to use it well. And so you want to make sure that they start off in a healthy environment and then you slowly remove the training wheels over time. Now, there are kids phones for younger kids that will act 
as a cell phone only. You can send text messages, but there's no app store. There's no social media, things like that. If that's what you're looking for, okay. Yeah, so there's one called Gab Wireless. The phone's about 150 bucks. Plans are 18 bucks a month, and they recommend it for kids age nine and up. There's no app store. There's no internet browser. It scans text messages, and it blocks ones that deems inappropriate. It can also set up locations and safe zones. So this is something that is really very locked down and can only be used in very specific ways. And if you need that smartphone capability at that younger age, this is something that allows you to really make sure that it's only used in ways that it was intended. And there's a couple other, Trumi Wireless, Pinwheel, which have the same features. They only work as phones. They can send text messages. So, Mom, I'm running late. Um, or, Mom, can you come pick me up? Dad, I, I'm running late at practice. Immediate communication might be important that you not, might need to get that message to your kid or your kid get to you. Okay, that's fine because they're in fourth and fifth and sixth grade kind of thing. Maybe that's where you want to look first if that's where you are. But that's, again, you're the parent. It's your decision. We can't give you a specific answer. Yeah, the best we can do is give you these things to think about and wish you the best of luck. And we want to thank you for that question. We will be sending out that Tech Gumbo mug, that big, beautiful 20-ounce ceramic mug with the Tech Gumbo logo on both sides. Look forward to it. And again, if you would like a mug or if, or if you have a question, please go to our website, techgumbo.net, and send in your question. So the big story this week is what's going on with cryptocurrency? Yeah, so this is something that, you know, there's a lot of other news happening this week that we're just giving ourselves a break from. We'll come back to it later. It just We talked about it so much. We're doing crypto this week. So this is looking at Bitcoin. Bitcoin's price is now down around sixteen or seventeen thousand dollars, which is lower than it was in December 2017. This is a huge fall for the currency. And it's, you know, you see Ethereum also down much lower than it has been in the past. We're, you know, 366 or 367 days away from the all-time high of Bitcoin at $69,045. So to see it fall this much in a year really brings up a lot of questions. But there's a specific thing happening this week, which is why we chose to talk about it right now. When you talk about an 80% devaluation in anything in one year's time, that means the uh-oh factor has really hit the fan. And so the big thing happening this week is that the exchange platform FTX is crumbling. So you have your cryptocurrencies, and that's Bitcoin and Ethereum, things like that, Litecoin. These are like the dollar, the euro, et cetera. So FTX is the platform where you trade them as an exchange. And so FTX has crumbled. They were almost bought out by their rival Binance, but Binance took one quick look at the books and said, no, we are have done our corporate due diligence and are worried about the investigators coming and looking at this. This is the equivalent of the U.S. Treasury Department saying, 
Hmm, maybe we'll buy that Canadian dollar up there. Oh, never mind. We're not going to do that. We're going to some small third world country somewhere that but this, this is, isn't a third world country. Binance and FTX are the two largest exchanges in the cryptocurrency sphere. And to have one look at the other and say, oh, no, thank you. We're pulling out of this. It has sent the cryptocurrency market into a total freefall. Oh, absolutely. Because it, it wasn't a deep dive through all of their books where they found troubling irregularities. This was like less than 48 total hours wherever the news first broke that Binance was going to, pull, to buy them and then decided not to. That is a very fast turnaround. And that means that either they already knew exactly what they were looking for or the red flags were so glaring and so waving that you open up spreadsheet one and they're already right there. That's not even a peek under the tent. That's looking at the tent. And you oh, see yeah. that the tent is kind of sagging. The, the lines that are holding the tent up aren't doing very well. And they open up the doors of the tent and you see that there's no poles holding up the tent. That's just fans blowing air toward the top of the tent. And that's the only thing holding it up. And everybody says, run. Well, there's a lot of people who've had a lot of money sitting in the FTX platform. For example, one of them is Sequoia Capital. One of the largest FTX backers sent a letter to its uh, shareholders that said it now believes the $200 million investment they made to be worthless. That's tough. So that that quickly, we're talking in a 48-hour window, one company that says, we'll buy our, our rival, looks at it and says, no, we're not going to buy our rival. And then a major investor says, oh, damn, all that money we, th we put in, we thought we were investing in a good, solid platform. Never mind. Sorry, folks, we just lost your money. So just to give you an idea of how big FTX was, they ran a commercial during the Super Bowl. They had bought the naming rights to the Miami Heat's basketball arena. They were dumping a lot of money into public places. And when asked to comment, the Miami Heat said that it was too early to announce what they were going to do with the name of their stadium. But it's entirely possible that very soon FTX ceases to exist. And so the name of the stadium outlives the company. That's really frightening. And it brings into question how and what and why FTX was doing things. When you start having people questioning how you're operating currencies, you get three-letter organizations from the federal government interested in you such as the SEC or the Security and Exchange Commission, the Department of Justice, and I'm sure there's a couple of others waiting in line. They're all begging to get inside FTX and look at what's going on. So it's important to understand here, there were two different types of FTX. You had FTX, the main business, and then you had a specific and separate FTX U.S. division. The reason they had to have a specific and separate U.S. division is that the main business was built on risky types of trade, which are illegal in the U.S. 
whenever the foundation of your company, its operating principle is banned here in this country because it is deemed too risky and too volatile, that's not a great place to begin. And everything is collapsing based upon that. You have to think that's what Binance was looking at. That's what Binance saw and said, no, this is you made really risky, bad bets. You didn't cover your butt here and that the bill is coming due and you can't pay it. Yes. Here in the United States, we call that a Ponzi scheme. That's what they were doing. They were they were robbing Peter to pay Paul. They were taking money out of this hand and, and buying things with, over here. And to the point where they have shut down so that you can't even withdraw any funds out of the accounts anymore. And people are really upset about this. And as well they should be, especially one certain future Hall of Famer, Tom Brady, who was a equity partner in FTX. Yeah, it seems he was drinking the Kool-Aid on this one. Uh, it's unknown how much he and former wife Giselle Bundchen invested in, but his recent loss to the Carolina Panthers is not his most embarrassing recent loss. And that's not a good place to be. It really isn't. When, when you consider that the CEO for FTX had originally had a... A, a net worth of $400 million, and he has lost 90% of that? It was more than that. He was worth close to $20 billion, and he's now less than one. He's dropped oh. 94% of his total valuation in one day. That is absolutely insane to have a valuation just evaporate in front of you. Can't believe that's brutal. When you see something like that, now all of a sudden... There's a next story that we, we found, which kind of falls right in line. Only 30% of millennials feel comfortable in, in investing in crypto. And this is a very recent study. Last year, in 2021, the number was 50%. There's a 20% drop in millennials who don't want to invest in crypto. For all Americans, that number is much lower. It's only one in five all Americans, about 20%. And so a lot of people had this buzz, you had this hype around it. You know, you had those commercials at the Super Bowl about fortune favors the bold and all those sorts of things. They were just, and it looks like they were intentionally trying to build a bubble. We are seeing the bubble burst and this is what happens, that you have these well over inflated evaluations and they're plummeting. I have long been skeptical of cryptocurrencies. You know, my prediction for 2022 was that NFTs would decline. The whole Web3 concept, I have just not bought into for so many different reasons. And it's because of exactly this, that maybe one day in the future, it will show something good. But as of right now, it looks like it's all smoke and mirrors that I have not seen anything where I'm like, ah, I get it. That's why I need this. That's why it's going to make life better. It all feels like snake oil right now. And I'm not in the market for snake oil. Yes, us, all us old baby boomers, we're out here just going, yeah, I never thought it would be any good anyway. I never bought any penny one on any of the cryptocurrencies because it just didn't ever make sense to me how all of a sudden bitcoin one day is 
$1,000 a coin, and the next day it's $20,000 a coin, and then it's $6,000, and now it's $25,000, and then it's $15,000, and now it's $30,000, and that's no way to invest money. It's trying to do so many different things, and it looks like it's doing none of them. That it's supposed to be decentralized, and so you know it's not controlled by one agency. The, the people who are, are true believers don't like the U.S. Federal Reserve. And sure, there are a lot of very valid criticisms you can make of the U.S. Federal Reserve, but the one thing that they do very well is they create stability. That I, as a U.S. citizen, know I can walk into the grocery store and I can spend my U.S. dollars. Yes, things are more expensive today. Inflation exists. I'm not a fan of inflation, but I still know my money still spends, and it's at roughly the same rate. And that brings stability to all the rest of my life and cryptocurrency intentionally untethering itself from that stability is just a wild play to me. Because I'm I'm more of a conservative investor, if you will, and I want to see slow and steady growth. That's where I am. That's where I've always been. The meteoric rise usually has meteoric falls, and I don't need that in my life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, I think we're seeing that in a lot of places in the technology sphere right now that meteoric rises come with meteoric falls and that the best way to grow something and, and build something and sustain something is slow and steady. And that 6% per year, 7% per year growth isn't flashy, it isn't sexy, but you know what? It's stable and it's long-term and... That's how you make sure that what you have today will be there tomorrow. It'll be there 10 years from now. And anything which is goes way, way up like this, way too fast. And it just you could never see all the way through it. It's it feels intentionally murky in a lot of places. And that just as someone who likes understanding things, who likes really getting to the bottom and understanding something all the way through, the fact that I couldn't, even when I sat down and spent a lot of time with it, really gave me a lot of pause and a lot of hesitancy. And it, it feels like we're seeing that, that there was something missing that all the pieces didn't quite line up. And this is what happens in that scenario. So when you get people who have a lot of money, who have a lot of people that help them with their investments, people who know how to look out for other people's monies, like a Tom Brady, like a Giselle Bunchen, like a whole lot of people who were putting money into these cryptocurrencies. My guess is they were putting money into other safe things as well. This wasn't all of their eggs in one basket. Even still, it's not a good look and it's going to get really bad before it gets any better, especially when you've got the SEC and the Department of Justice coming in. I feel sympathy for people who thought that this was an asset they could invest in. And they have lost a lot of money, and it sucks because this is an uninsured asset. But that's by design, that this is intentionally something which there is no U.S. federal backing for, because that's what the people who created this thing want it to be. And whenever you take on a risk like that, you have that up, here's the down. And I, you know, I can't get too much more into financial advice because that's not my world, but this just seems like something that was a predictable outcome. And I, I agree that I don't see cryptocurrencies making a huge rebound because too many people are skeptical because 
what actually is it? What actually does it do feels untethered from its valuation? And if you think this is only going to be the U.S. federal government involvement, look for the EU, look for South American countries, Asian countries are all going to line up and go after these different platforms. There's a reason FTX had to be headquarters in the Bahamas. That's not a place where ever stable, secure, long-term companies place their headquarters. And we want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission. And that mission is to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed services provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers from Texas to the Carolinas. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through the continuous use of innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 120 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, programmers, and designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of businesses, schools, and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business's strength. This has become a proven formula. So proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need new IT services, new technology, or you just have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. And if you enjoyed our show today, we're here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4, and the show will rerun Sunday at 4. If you missed any part of our show, or you would like to hear any of the previous episodes, check out our podcast which is available on most every platform, including Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podcast Attic, Overcast, Player FM, and more. And when you're there, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified every time a new episode is posted. If you like our show, if you have some suggestions or want to submit a question, let us know by visiting our website, techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.